Uh, we are going to be continuing our series, Hark, the Herald Angel Sings, this idea of listen closely, pay attention in the midst of all of the activity and the cacophony of noise around Christmas that we would be reminded that we would hark or pay attention to the real reason that we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. And so this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 25. Last week we looked at when the angel Gabriel came to Mary. And this week we're going to be looking at when an angel unnamed, but an angel visits with Joseph in a dream. Visits with Joseph in a dream. And let's read this together in Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is such an amazing thing, again, this passage, this, this fact that Joseph, you know, we think about Mary a lot, um, as we should in the Christmas story, uh, but Joseph sometimes can feel like a side character that uh, doesn't have an important role to play, but alas, he does have an important role to play, which we'll see today. I remember, I've, I told this story a couple of years ago, uh, but I want to rehearse it again. I remember uh, one of the first times that I really began to understand what Joseph was going through and the decisions that Joseph had to make. And when this took place was when I was in seminary. My wife was involved uh, with uh, a production, a Christmas production, and they were in the early part of getting ready for that. And she came home one night and said, hey, they need somebody to play the role of Joseph. Would you be willing to do it? And I thought, uh, I want to be a good church member. You know, they need somebody. And so I said, you know what, yeah, I'll do it. In my mind, being Joseph meant there would be some song, I would walk out probably with some sort of staff, stand there until the song was done with, with uh, someone playing the role of Mary and a baby. And I thought, okay, end of that song, we'll sort of walk off and bada boom, bada bing, I've served the church, they've got their Joseph. Unfortunately, that is not what was required of me. When I showed up on the first day of rehearsals, the 
the young lady playing Mary was wearing a tutu and was doing leaps. And I thought, I'm in the wrong place. I'm looking for the Mary Joseph rehearsal. And they said, oh, no, no, you're in the right place. And before I knew it, I was involved in an emotive dance number as Mary and Joseph. And I remember um, that was a lot more than I thought that I had signed up for. And the first thing they told me was I was going to be sort of on this side of the stage and there would be a song playing. And in the song it would be talking about the angel coming to Joseph. And the director is telling me, um, you need to be really conflicted over here because you uh, found out that Mary is pregnant. You're not sure about the origin of that. You're trying to be just. You're wanting to put her away. And now this angel is telling you, don't be afraid, take Mary. And so I remember having to do things like, like the Mary characters over here dancing around and I would have to like longingly do like this and then dramatically like, no, I can't do it. And finally I would go over and I don't even know how this related to the biblical story, but I remember doing this across the stage as she <laughs> leaped. And there was another part of the song in which there was great controversy in the dress rehearsal because the director told me uh, as if the angel was telling me um, as this song is playing that God is the one who has conceived Jesus in Mary's womb. And, and I was to indicate this by, from a heavenly hand and then I was to bring the hand as if to, to guide the audience to the womb. And I, I, so I'm guiding my hand and I'm, I did not touch her belly just for the record. <laughs> but people in the choir thought, He's touching her belly. And there was great controversy. And the director's going, you've got to touch the belly. That's the critical part of my, I'm not touching her belly. And so we just sort of compromised. I got like, you know, within about a foot, I felt like that, that the, the audience could imagine the Holy Spirit conceiving the rest of the way from my hand to her, to her belly. And I just remembered thinking, why did I sign up for this? But secondly, what a small taste of what Joseph himself, controversy, all of a sudden thrust into something he did not know that he had signed up for. He is engaged. He is betrothed to be married to Mary. And he finds out she's pregnant and he knows one thing, it's not his child. And from this text, we understand in describing Joseph that he was a just or a righteous man. What that meant is that he was a person of character and he wanted to be obedient to the law. And in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 22 verses about 23 to 27, there are instructions that if you are engaged and you're uh, betrothed, your, uh, your soon-to-be wife is found to be pregnant, what you should do. And to be obedient to the law, you are to dismiss her. In fact, she should be stoned to death. But by the time of Joseph and Mary, that practice had not really uh, been kept up under the Roman occupation. When Jesus, uh, they bring the, the adulterous woman to Jesus later on and they pick up stones, that was unusual. They were really pushing the envelope. But Joseph 
to himself, said, I want to be righteous. I want to obey what God has said, and I cannot enter into this marriage according to Deuteronomy 22, and so I am going to put her away. But he was also kind, and he was also merciful. And so he could have gone and protected his name. The easy thing would be to go to the gate and to make this proclamation and to shame Mary publicly so that he is totally absolved moving away from this situation. And yet, he said, I want to be just, but I want to be kind. And so I'm going to divorce her and send her away quietly, trying to reduce the shame on Mary. And as he is considering these things, the Scripture says that an angel came to Joseph in a dream. Oddly enough, this is not the last time an angel would appear to Joseph in a dream. If you read uh, following in the book of Matthew, I believe it's a total of four times that an angel comes in a dream to give Joseph direction on how to protect his family and the Lord's son. Kind of makes you wonder if every morning when they woke up, if Mary said, did you have any dreams last night? Because we've moved to Egypt, we've moved to Nazareth, we've done this and we've done that. And, and in this dream, the angel comes to Joseph and says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. One of the ways you could translate that, that phrase, do not be afraid, is do not shrink back from this responsibility before you. And the angel again affirms, for the, the child she is carrying is from the Holy Spirit. And he gives a purpose. You, this child, you will name him Jesus, Yahweh saves. And he will save his people, not from Roman occupation, but from their sins. And he says, that Joseph, awakening from that dream, went and took Mary to be his wife, and he did not know her intimately until after the birth of Jesus, and then they named him Yahweh Saves. What an incredible story. And as we think about how this Christmas season that we can explain to others why we have such hope, why we celebrate, and as we consider this Christmas season, how can we worship and celebrate Jesus in our homes? Today, this morning, I'd like for us to think about three truths that we can celebrate from the angel coming to Joseph. Number one, we can celebrate that Jesus fulfills a promise. Jesus' coming is God's fulfilled promise. Notice in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Matthew, as he's writing his gospel, out of the four gospel writers, Matthew takes on the role of the apologist. Not like saying, I'm sorry for what I'm telling you, but I am defending apologetics. And so he is saying there is evidence from Scripture. Matthew quotes 
from the Old Testament how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament promises more than any other gospel writer. And so in this, Matthew is saying, I'm telling you this story about Joseph and the angel that came to him in a dream so that you will understand that this is a fulfillment of a promise God made to Isaiah hundreds of years before. And then he quotes Isaiah, what we would call Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14. Now the context in Isaiah, just real briefly, is this. There is a king of Judah, which is the, the royal line of David. The kingdom is already split into Israel and Judah. And the king of Judah has got two enemies coming up against him. One of the kings is actually from Israel. One is a foreign king. And he is concerned that the royal lineage is at risk. And so Isaiah comes and makes a prophecy, makes a word from the Lord and says, Behold, there is a virgin who will conceive. Now, here's what you need to understand about Isaiah. There are not two um, virgin conceptions in Scripture. That's only in Christ. What Isaiah is saying is essentially this young woman who is unmarried and has no children, by the time she has a child, and then in the following verses, when it, that child begins to eat honey and curds, uh, sort of weaned onto solid food. By the time that that lady has a child and it is of age to wean, your enemies will be defeated, Ahaz, and the, God will protect his royal line. And in fact, those two kings that are threatening you will be dispatched. And so this is the promise, Isaiah is saying. You see this woman. When she has a child, you will know that God has been faithful to preserve the royal lineage of David. So there is, this is the truth in your outline, Isaiah's prophecy has a partial fulfillment in his day and a more glorious fulfillment in Christ. So Isaiah, what we understand, and, and so there's some debate whether Isaiah is talking about his own soon-to-be wife and his son, or the king's soon-to-be wife and her son. But either way, it is a human um, result of a woman who was a virgin who has a child, and they were defeated. Those kings were defeated just as God said it would, would be. Now, the reason that Matthew is quoting here is he is grabbing onto the word virgin, and this is sort of, some of you won't care about this, some of you will find this interesting. When the Hebrew Bible was turned and written in Greek, it's called the Septuagint. It was written about or uh, translated about 250 years before Jesus was born from Hebrew into Greek. And when those scholars, those Jewish scholars, this is why I'm saying this, this is not a Christian um, perspective. This is Jewish scholars translating Isaiah. They translated into Greek the word for virgin, meaning not just a young woman, but a virgin. So that the prophecy would be that someone would come from a virgin conception. Does that make sense? 
And so when you begin to see who this child is, the prophecy and the description of this child doesn't end in Isaiah 7. It actually goes forward. And in Isaiah chapter 9, I just want to very briefly read you where they understood and why they translated it the way they translated it. They understood this is more than just the child of promise to the king Ahaz. In chapter 9, listen to this. We just sang about it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And so they understood very quickly this is more, this prophecy has more application than just either Isaiah's son or the king's son as a sign of victory for Judah. So they began to look forward to there is another one coming who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And so Matthew is so eager to say the virgin birth communicated to Joseph through a dream by an angel. You can take Mary because she's telling the truth. The Holy Spirit has conceived of this child in her womb. And all of this, remember his purpose, all of this is to fulfill what the prophet said, that a virgin would give birth and it would be God with us, Emmanuel. This Christmas season, we can celebrate together that God keeps his promises. The very birth of Jesus is God's commitment to his promises. And for that, we can celebrate that Jesus is the coming of the ultimate promise of a Messiah who would save his people from his sins. And so that brings us to number two. Not only do we celebrate that Jesus fulfills a promise, but number two, we celebrate that Christmas comes with a purpose. Christmas comes with a purpose. Notice, as I just mentioned, the angel tells Joseph, you will name him Jesus and here's the purpose. He is going to be a savior. He's going to forgive the people of their sins. This was very different than what the people thought they needed. They were looking for a Messiah from the Lord who would come and overthrow Rome. And the angel tells Joseph very clearly, he is a savior. He is going to save the people from their sins. It's not what they wanted, but it's what they needed. It's what you and I needed was someone who could come and forgive us of our sins. And he says that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Last week I talked about how God, through the, um, the virgin conception, that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. There, there is such a tension there. And, and if I could, I, I, I sort of thought about this. And, and, and what I would say is this, you know, the principle of magnets. If you have, if you have bar magnets and you have 
a north end and you have a north end and you try to touch them together, they actually create this field of magnetic energy and depending on the strength of the magnet, you can't quite get them to touch. For me, from Scripture, it is very clear. One true north truth is that God is a hundred, I mean, Jesus is a hundred percent God. And yet another true north truth from Scripture is that Jesus is a hundred percent man. Both true, both true north. And when I try to get them to touch in my mind to make sense of that, I just can't make them touch. But here's the beauty is that little magnetic force field where I can't get them to touch is the mystery of faith. And that little bit of mystery of the faith, right where we can't get them to touch, where we know both things are true, is evidence enough for me that God is who he says he is. Because if I can understand everything about God, then he is less than I am and he is no longer God. And our God is so big that he can make in Mary's womb 100% God and 100% man. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this because in the truth here in your outline, God became human or incarnate in order to forgive our sins. God with us. This idea that God is with us. He is so with us that he became like us. Think about this. Jesus, his humanity. The scripture teaches us that he emptied himself to, be, to take on and humbled himself to become human. And he had a human body. The scripture over and over shares how there were times where he was tired. Some of us can sympathize with that. He was hungry. We know that he thirsted. We know that he can bleed. He had a human mind. This is, this is probably the most fascinating thing where the magnets are so hard to touch is that he's born a baby. And so in that very nature of it, he had to grow. And the scripture tells us that he grew not only in stature, but he grew in wisdom. Jesus, because of the way that he humbled himself, had to learn. Jesus had a human mind and that he had emotions. We know from the scripture that there were times that he got angry. He drove people out of the temple when they were mistreating the house of God. We know that he had sorrow because one of the most famous verses, Jesus wept when he lost and knew that Lazarus had died. Jesus laughed. We don't often think of him as laughing, but Jesus laughed. There's some indication that when he was on the Sermon on the Mount and was preaching and was talking about how you should not try to get a splinter out of someone else's eye when you have a two-by-four coming out of your own eye, that that was a joke that would have killed in that day. And so Jesus was funny. He laughed. He had human relationships. He had friends. Jesus Jesus had human relationships in the sense that he understands what it means to lose someone he loves. Jesus lost his cousin, John the Baptist, in tragedy as he was beheaded. It's not explicitly stated, but it's, it seems implicit that Jesus lost his earthly father, his adoptive father, Joseph, 
Because on the cross, he's making arrangements for his mother with John and saying, here is your son, here is your mother. He's basically saying, as the eldest son, take care of my mom. So meaning somewhere along the line, Jesus knows what it means to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by a close friend. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us that Jesus, one of the reasons he's a perfect high priest for us is that he became like us and that he experienced every, in every manner or respect everything that we experience, whether temptation, hardship, joy, and struggle. He knows what it means to be human. See, God became incarnate, God with us. He became like us. Why? All of that, all of that pain, all that suffering that he did not have to go through so that he would go to the cross as our substitute. Only a human could be the substitute for another human. And only a perfect, sinless life of a human could be the substitute for God's wrath for another human. And only God could withstand the wrath of God for our sin. And so he needed to be both 100% God and 100% man. And in that mystery is our salvation and our worship to him. So this Christmas season, he's not only a fulfilled promise, but he came to forgive us of our sin. And so when we look at the, those nativities and the little manger and the baby, it really is looking at a sacrificial lamb for us. That every sin you and I have committed, that little baby was born so that you and I could be forgiven. The third thing that we can celebrate from this passage is this. We celebrate the picture of acceptance into the family. The picture of acceptance into the family. Look with me at verse 25. Uh, let me start in verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Honestly, um, until studying this passage this week, I've never really given thought to the fact that Joseph was the one who named Jesus. He was commanded by the angel, you will call him Jesus. And then when he awoke from the dream, he took Mary. When Jesus was born, Joseph named him Jesus. And all the biblical scholars that I studied and researched this week in, in trying to understand this passage were in unanimous accord that when verse 25 says that Joseph named him Jesus, that was Joseph in a formal, legal way adopting Jesus as his own, saying, welcome to my family. I will take care of you. And part of the reason for that, which Matthew mentions at the top of the passage we read, is that Joseph is from the line of David. And so when Joseph names Jesus, 
Jesus legally became part of the line of David, the promised one. Joseph had an important part to play as the adoptive father of Jesus. And I can't help but think of the picture of Joseph adopting Jesus. There's the famous song, Mary, Did You Know? But, oh, Joseph, did you know that the baby you adopted, that his father would adopt you? See, when we accept Jesus' offer of forgiveness of sin, we become adopted sons and daughters of the king. And in this picture, Joseph names him Jesus, and it's legal. It's official. And do you know that in the New Testament, that it, in the, actually in the book of Revelation, that for each of us who come to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus gives us a name. He gives us a name. And it's, not, it's a name that you and I won't know until we get to heaven. But it is our adoptive name where legally we became part of God's family. Oh, what to celebrate. I'm going to invite Stacy and, and any others who are going to be coming to lead us in a time of response. The final truth here is this. Let us not shrink back from God's call on our lives. Joseph was told in that dream, do not be afraid or do not shrink back from what God is asking you to do. Do not shrink back. And as we celebrate Christmas, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I would just encourage you, one of the ways that we can celebrate and honor this gift is that whatever God is calling you and I to do, whether that be worship of him, whether that's an obedience of sharing the good news of Christmas with someone, whether that is turning from sin and following Christ in repentance, don't shrink back this Christmas season. Follow the example of Joseph who when given clarity of his role did not shrink back but immediately went and obeyed. And I want to just give you a final little challenge before I pray and we sing a time of response. One of the things I've mentioned is I want us to be able to have some practical ways in which you can celebrate these truths at home. And so I was thinking about that. And maybe this week, just an example, if you have a nativity in your home, whether you have, it's just you or whether it's you and a spouse or you and an extended family, would you gather that nativity, not like an idol, but just as a visual aid, and when at some meal, would you look at that representation of the baby in that nativity and just together as a family, a quick prayer to just say, that baby is a fulfilled promise. That baby came with a purpose to forgive us of our sin. And as a family, we will not shrink back from obeying with our lives. And then just offer a prayer together. It's a way to just, again, in all the noise going around us to just go, but this is why. Not just on Sundays, but every day, this is why. So that's just an example of what we could do this week to celebrate the truth of Christmas at home. I'm going to pray for us. If, 
you need to respond in any way, uh, I pray that you would do so. I'll be at the front if you want to talk. It's not anything formal. I can talk to you before or after at our next step desk. If you came with a believer today and you need some help, um, talk to them over lunch. Allow them to pray for you, share the gospel with you, um, and how to be saved as we celebrate Christmas. Father, thank you for sending Jesus and fulfilling your promise. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to forgive us of our sin. And God, thank you that you have adopted us, those who have put faith in Christ, into your family. And we celebrate that gift this season. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.